Welcome to Creators Abroad. I'm Katerina, your nomad guide, living in Northern England, and this is another narrative journey where we take risks, find opportunities, and spark our imagination. I create these episodes to help you in your creative journey and share tips to build a new life in a foreign country or town, and how to make a living as a creator. To do that, I have an amazing guest with me today, and I wanted to officially kick off the Creators Abroad show with her story. Romina Muhammadai, who featured in my podcast trailer. Oh, and before we begin, and I forget, how long does it take to edit two minutes for a trailer? Last week, I released it for the podcast show, touching very briefly on who I am, who I interview, and what value I hope to achieve by doing this. I made it to help listeners and any newcomers decide whether they want to follow my podcast or not. But oh my word, it took me forever. Please check it out. And if you enjoy it, you can copy and share the link to either the trailer or this episode with anyone who might find it helpful. And it will really make my day. Now then, about Romina. So many people dream of carving out a living in a different country, some out of necessity. So for example, like escaping war or a broken past, some out of a love for a different culture, some out of a desire for adventure. But what if, for whatever reason, you move to a new country, giving up family, friends, cultural familiarity, and then everything went wrong? Could you rebuild your life? Could you do more than rebuild it? Could you become a beacon of inspiration to others? Romina is an example of having done this. So she left her home country to pursue the American dream, only to find herself divorced, broke, and in her own words, a loser after a couple of years. But she did turn her life around. How did she do it? And why did she move in the first place? Well, let's find out. Welcome to the show, Romina. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. Now, to give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film soon to be released called Coffee with Romina. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Absolutely. So I will start the trailer with Romina being the little rebel and always going around her hometown with a bike, always wanting to explore, pretending to be a police officer chasing the bad guys for a moment because always looking for solutions. Growing up into that adventurous spirit, Uh, moving to America at just 17 years old, being lost to what in the world did I just do? And where in the world am I going from here? And just showing mini clips of roller coaster of my life, low downs and highs. And at the end, it would be me talking in a a stage in a conference with over 10,000 people and sharing my story to motivate others. And Coffee with Romina would be clips of that. Scene one, broken dreams. Before becoming a sales expert, specializing in negotiation skills and setting up your own consulting firm, you experienced hardships that left you feeling worthless. These hardships happened right or shortly after you moved from Albania to America at 17. Now let's start with Albania. Describe one of the best days of your childhood and what you miss most. I can very vividly remember that one of my best days was when I turned 15, that me and my family were having uh, lunch, and that was 
my dad pretty much giving the yes for me to move to America. And there's a picture of me and my dad and me just being super happy. And it was my parents, my brother and me um, having lunch. And it was just a very intimate family lunch, I would say, but also some really great news being shared. And I see that as a new chapter of a new book opening for my life. And I'll never forget that uh, the lunch date. What did you eat? <laughs> Sorry. I'm a little obsessed with food. <laughs> oh, you're perfectly fine. I ate seafood, pasta seafood. I love seafood. So wherever in, in Albania, so I'm from the south of Albania, but after I moved to the capital town, that's where we would go into, like, we would go visit different cities that have the sea view that you'd catch the fresh seafood. So we were there, and I remember actually uh, one of the fishermen uh, had catched an octopus. And I remember seeing the whole stage, like, hitting the octopus and trying to, you know, work on it and, you know, cook it and everything because it was like an open kitchen. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, it was octopus, it was uh, scallops, and it was with pasta and the sauce. That, that's what I had. <laughs> and, I, and I drank an orange Fanta. <laughs> orange Fanta, I can even yes. remember the drink. It sounds so good. And... What would you say you missed the most of, from, about Albania? I am very uh, family-oriented, and I feel like sometimes I wish I had more people around me in America. They think about family uh, values the same as the Albanian style because America is a little bit different. It's not that they don't have family values, but it's a very different culture. So sometimes I do miss that because our cousins are considered like our brothers and sisters. And it's considered like a big family that anytime you can call and it'll be there. Where I miss that part in America. So that's what I would say I miss the most. Yes, I kind of understand that too. Because like where I grew up in South Africa, we had the same thing. Like in African culture is a lot more community orientated. So when you see somebody in trouble, you just like jump and help them. There's no question of, oh, I've got other things to do. That's better. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. And here, one of my very good friends, she's from Louisiana, and they have kind of the same culture as we mm -hmm. do in Albania. That okay. is, if you see somebody on the side of the road, you just stop and help them. And even if you call for work to be running late or anything, you're forgiven because you're helping somebody else. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, that's why I get along really good with her because we come from like the same culture a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I can. T I totally get that. And then, but of course now you moved, you did move to a foreign country in America specifically, which is a drastic move and it takes a lot of guts. Like, I mean, the ability to adapt and deal with that uncertainty is quite uh, incredible. And many of us, I mean, we love talking about going to a different country, a new country, and it seems so adventurous and sometimes exotic and so forth, but very few of us realize perhaps how grueling it can be and how lonely it can be as well. So what motivated you and what exactly did you envision for your new life in America? Yeah, so I actually had been in America before because my family won the DV visa program, which is the diversity visa program, differently called the American Lottery. So when I say my family won the American lottery, people sometimes think we won millions. No, you guys, we would just won the green card for <laughs> to come to America. We were one of the lucky winners for my family. So whenever I would visit here in 2015 is the first time that I, um, 2005, I'm sorry, is the first time that I visited. I liked it because it had a lot more green, like trees, it just the whole environment looked different than Albania. So I kind of got that 
happiness dosage of injection in American lifestyle. And I wanted to explore that a lot more. So it wasn't something absolutely brand new for me. I've been here before, but I've been here with my family. So I'm moving here by myself. That was uh, really struggling. But I would say at the same time, I am a little daring. And I say my parents probably like, you were crazy, but we're going to support you on this decision. So it was a lot to take in. But if you digest it piece by piece, like you can eat a, an elephant piece by piece, right? Then you'll be fine. That's how I looked yeah. at it. I've never heard that analogy, but if you say so, yeah. I think it's an Albanian expression. If you eat an elephant piece by piece, then you're fine. Because the elephant is huge. But yeah, if you break things down like little by little by little, then you'll be okay. You'll, you'll be able to digest everything slowly. Yes. Oh, I love that expression. It's a great way to think about something. And I mean, it's sometimes these kind of uh, challenges do feel like an elephant kind of like storming up at you, in a sense. Now, did you have any particular vision for your life in America? Did you think, oh, I'm going to do this and this is gonna, what it's going to be like? Or did you just want to go and kind of explore and see what happens? I would say I had half a vision, but not a full vision. I didn't even know how I think at the time, meaning that right now I have vision boards in my walls because I'm a, you know, I'm a visual person. I didn't realize I was a visual person before, so I didn't make a vision board. And I feel like if I did, I would be a lot better. But my main goal was to start a life where I can be accountable for all my actions and it's not going to be dependent on the uh, whoever's in charge on politics or the culture or whoever what he or she says because Albania it comes from a communism system and is still a developing country so it's not an easy country to break through so I just saw it more as I whoever I decide to become or whoever I want to be I will make that happen because I will put in the work and that's how I saw America. I saw it, at least to my perspective, that's been stamped in my brain, that if I put in the work, I will get it done. And if I get a no, it's because I need to do better. It's not because somebody doesn't like me, for instance. So that that was always my thing. But I wouldn't say I had like an exact vision when I first moved here. I just wanted to do everything I do. I wanted to achieve it myself and just live in a better condition because and everything would come with it. Yeah, that's another great way to think of things. And I mean, it's really hard to get a no. But if you think that it's not personal, or if you just keep in mind that it's perhaps not directly directed at you, but more just you can perhaps rethink how you present whatever idea you have or so forth. Yeah, and I mean, once you start taking no's not personal, you will notice yourself grow a lot and you will notice yourself trying to think of other solutions and not being stuck in the moment. Uh, because that's another thing that unfortunately a lot of people get stuck in that moment if they take a no and they take it personal. But it's like, no, just take it as a motivation to go further. Because no is just not yet, but it's yeah, not exactly. the final no. Yeah, I've often heard, um, or perhaps at least from one person, that the more no's you get, the more refined whatever you want to achieve becomes, and the more likely you'll be successful at it. Absolutely. So, now, during this first period, you were married in the States and at 23, you got divorced and found yourself broke with nowhere to go. Firstly, what happened in your relationship and what did you feel at this time? 
So um, one thing, I after analyzing it after quite some time, to why I even got in a relationship that my, like my non-negotiables as a person were not being respected, is because of being very homesick, being fully by myself, and I felt like I had a really good support system for a while, and that's why I fell in love. And I was really young too, but I started letting my non-negotiables get away from me towards respect towards treating each, you know treating each other with respect making sure that we have an open communication making sure that I'm being appreciated for what I do and it became uh, very toxic just the way it would be communicating like some of the expressions like I could not if I said an opinion it was always stupid or it was always dumb because I didn't do the proper research or it was you're worthless or why did you do this what is wrong with you instead of having a communication because two people can think very differently like me and you can think very differently but I can ask you what made you do that decision like can you walk me through the process of thinking and then I understand you because everybody's perception of perfect is different too so that that was to a point that it got accumulated really much and I would say the last five months for like five to six months I pretty much turned into an alcoholic I would drink two bottles of champagne a bottle of orange juice and I would you know like Starbucks you know mugs that you have coffee yes, yeah. yeah well those those would be my daily mimosas after work okay. and I'll fall asleep like that yeah so I didn't realize that, that I was turning into an alcoholic pretty much at that time um, until I came and visited my family uh, one weekend and I just went ahead and bought two bottles and drank the orange juice and they're like, what are you doing? Like, you're drinking this two bottles by yourself? Like, it, what are you doing? And then I was like, wait, hold on. I think I have an issue. <laughs> I think I'm coping it the wrong way. And I decided to leave my ex-partner just because, um, well, the final draw was that he cheated. And I take that as the last disrespectful thing. I say, I don't care if I'm old and wrinkly or, you know, if you're going to be with me, you be with me. Um, if you want to get out of the relationship, then break it up with me. It's okay. You know, things happen. But that was just something that I absolutely don't forgive. At least that's in my opinion. You know, everybody has their own world. But um, that's what ended up happening. And once I moved in, I left my ex. I moved in back with my family when I was 23. So you can imagine moving out at 17, living by yourself, you know, running, you know, running a business, buying a house, living the American dream on the outside, but being miserable on the inside, but then moving in with your family at 23. Back in Albania. No, in in America, because my family had moved to America at that time too. Mm -hmm. They moved here two years after I did. But it was a lot. And I felt like a loser. So like for the long, for like two or three months, I was broke. I had like $3 in my bank account. Uh, to the point that I even had to hide my car because the bank was about to get my car because I could not make the payments. And somehow they had found the location for my parents and they had left a note in the door. And my parents saw the note and they're like, okay, what is actually happening? Like, you're not talking to us. You're just hiding in the room. You're not leaving the house. You're drunk most of the time. (laughs) Like, what is happening? So that's when I had to finally just let it out of my chest, talk to them. And they are honestly my best friends. It, it was my pride also killing me for a while that I didn't talk about it. But they are my best friends and they have helped me extremely a lot to regain my own strength and rebuild the Romina 2.0 version, like I call it. Okay. And then at that stage, you mentioned your own business. Were you running your own business? 
Correct. So I was working car sales as well as me and my ex did have a business that we run, a logistic business that we ran at the time. Okay, I see. Mm -hmm. And then what would you say is the biggest impact that this had on you as a person? If you had to narrow down to one thing that you were like, I have to change that. I had to love myself before anybody else. Like, I love myself, but I love myself on a whole nother level now that I know what Ramina really wants and gets. And I have to put myself and respect myself before anything else and not allow somebody to say or do something that doesn't align good with my morals. And it allowed me to raise my voice in, of course, you know, professional manner and stand up for myself. So it helped me grow as a person to a whole nother level that I don't think I would have been where I'm at right now if I didn't go through that. Yes, no, it's totally understandable. And I mean, just thinking about what toxic relationships can do to us and how we perceive ourselves and then having to overcome that, that in itself is quite a growth curve. And I think when you do get out on the other end, you've got a lot more in you and you can withstand a lot more uh, hardships than before. Absolutely. And I mean, Albanian culture is a close culture again. So it's not very common for somebody that is divorced to talk about, you know, their storyline or what happened because it's still like a stigma. But I decided to share my story and talk about it because it's different. And I'm sure that there's somebody out there that can definitely benefit from my message because they might be stuck to where I was before and they just need that one person to say like, it's okay, you can do better. And because I went through that myself, now that's why I'm very open to even talk with my friends or my family. Whenever they're having relationship issues, that being personal or, you know, or professional. Because I, I feel like I look at things a different perspective now. I don't look at things just from what does Romina want and what does Romina say. But I also try to understand people why they do what they do. And another great book that also helped me with understanding like infidelity to begin with is Esther uh, Perez, uh, mm -hmm. her book. It's just a really interesting perception. And a lot of times whenever people get cheated on or they get betrayed, they feel like it's against them. They feel like they take it personal. They feel like something is wrong with them when that's not necessarily true all the time because it might be something wrong with you, but you have to understand where the other party is also coming from. So it also, it kind of like opens your mind to a whole nother spectrum and perspective that you're like, I want to know more. I want to know more. How do people think? Why do people do what they do? Yeah. So that's what I'm going through. And that's what I went through pretty much. No, and I think it's also, it's such a hard thing to actually talk about openly because of course there's the public opinion. There's what will your family think or the people that know you really well, what will people who don't know you really well think? And then kind of like being really open about it. That's very brave in itself. Thank you. I mean, people will have an opinion no matter what. So let people have an opinion. It's okay. That's what I think of it. <laughs> Scene two, picking up the pieces through hope. You live by hope. That is capital letters, H-O-P-E. That is specifically, you try to help one person every day. Often the best way of getting by and coping with isolation as a immigrant is through the connections you make. Now, in your case, obviously, you said that your your family lives in America or they moved shortly after you. So you had that support structure. But just in general, how did the idea of hope help you during your divorce and subsequent state of well, destitution? So, so I started applying the hope theory um, in the last three years. 
so it wasn't before but what I end up finding out is once I start learning a lot more just like we were talking earlier that I start learning more wanting to know people more and actually you know try to be a good list like ear and a good support system for some others I realized how much how much how good people feel if you listen to them or you did something uh, small to help them so what I love about hope is a lot of people sometimes they feel like it needs to be an exchange emotionally or monetary if they do something but how I look at it is if you pay it forward and if you it's good karma something back will come to you so hope is helping one person a day that might be you know somebody that is on the street and it's pouring rain and unfortunately they have a sign to give them you know a dollar or five or 20 whatever you have or being there for your friend because they're having a very big struggling day or being there for another podcaster because they just started and they're like what in the world do I do how do I get started how do I you know so things like that that's what I mean by hope help one person a day help without necessarily requiring it in return because as much as I can say it's selfless uh, for me to do that it's really selfish because it makes me feel good at the same time (laughs) Um, so that's why I practice it because it helps me that even if I had a really bad day I know I did like something for somebody else And somehow it makes me feel good for existing and for just, you know, giving back to the community one way or another. Yes. And I mean, that goes back again a little bit to what we were saying about the Albanian culture and also the African culture, where it's about that selfless kind of sense of community, which is also, like you said, it is a bit selfish because, well, it does make you feel good, but not everybody is going to be like oh I wouldn't I'd give a little bit of my time even if it's just a couple of minutes or something it doesn't have to be much um to somebody else because what's the point if you're not getting anything in return I mean it's such a ingrained way of thinking and I think it's just come with mostly in the westernized countries like yeah you know time is money if I do something I need something in return that kind of thing so I think it's amazing that you actually live by this and that I've found somebody else who (laughs) who has this kind of mentality so that's great well we have a we have an expression in Albanian so like if you make your fist really tight there's no air going in or going out and that is you just being very strict. But if you're opening up a little bit, some air will come out and some air will go out. And you still have it under control because you can close it, right? So what that is really is like you're opening a little tiny hole and allow good things to go out and good, you know, bad, uh, good things to go in and bad things to come out. So it's a cycling. So if you open up just a little bit, even one person, for example, going back to hope, right? Even one person, it will start a cycling system for you. That's just how I look at it. Yes, and I... Again, I think that having that kind of approach to life and getting that way you build, actually build a network, you build connections that are real instead of these kind of like, I don't know, superficial or very much a tit for tat kind of relationship. And that really helps when you don't perhaps have that much around you if you're in a new town or new country or so forth. Now generally when we face fearful situations or big changes having a support structure so we're talking about the support structure now can make or break our recovery Um, and I'm just talking from my own experience because I've lived in many different countries so I know what it feels like when like things go wrong and there's nobody (laughs) and you're like what do I do (laughs) so when you do have that support structure it also helps you actually find new meaning in life did you have to seek out a very specific structure or would you say it was already in place? And I think you might have touched on this. But what um, Are you referring to when I first moved to America or when I after my divorce? Yes, you can make a point of each. So right at the start, 
and then also after you lost everything, so to speak. So whenever I first moved to America, my support system, because I lived in a host family, uh, but my support system was my mom. Um, I would send her long emails. And I'm not the person, like I was not the person that I would talk a lot. I started talking more, like, because I would keep a lot of things within myself, because uh, I would feel like I was weak if I let out my emotions before. So when I first moved to America, it would be my mom, because the time change, I would email her whenever I would go to sleep. And when I would wake up in the morning, it would be time for her to leave work. Mm -hmm. So she would read the emails to get a summary of my day. And, you know, it would be a recycling thing. But I forgot how detail-oriented the emails were till I went back a couple months ago. That it was to the, like, I cried today because this happened. I felt lonely because this happened. I did this because this happened. Like, I miss you. Like, I just want to have coffee with dad. Like, to, like, the very... And I didn't realize that how amazing support system that was just by her listening to me and she wouldn't be like Romina are you okay because you sent me a bad email like are you okay she wouldn't do that she would read it digest it but she'll still continue the conversation with me just like we were having a coffee so my mom has been one of my biggest support systems along with and especially after my divorce along with my father too like they are my best friends they trusted me to move to America at 17 by myself so we have that relationship so when it comes to personal, my family is very, like, very important. It's there. And if it comes to business support system, I reached out to different individuals. They are where I want to be in the future to have a one-on-one -on -one virtual coffee or, you know, to have a conversation and see what I can learn more. And I tell them, be like, hey, I'm stuck. I want to be there. Like, can you give me an advice? And if somebody sees your willingness and your devotion and you're really working hard to get somewhere, they will help you. So to the listeners out there too, like, don't be shy to reach out to people, you guys. Like, you'd be surprised who's going to be like, okay, I'll give you like an hour of my time mm -hmm. and let's do this. Let me help you. Like, it, it happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's also, once again, like people who try and like go out and start their own business or maybe just have some ideas that they want to run past people. You have no idea how useful it is to actually just talk about them and obviously with people who've perhaps got more experience or who have been through loads of different uh, business ventures or whatever the case might be it just helps to talk and get their feedback so it's just you know be brave enough to speak <laughs> speak up the words they're gonna say it's no right so you yeah, try exactly. another one <laughs> Okay, and then talking about own businesses. So obviously you you had the business while you were married, but then you got divorced, you went through a tough time. And what would you say are the key steps that enabled you to keep your head above water and then regain new purpose in life? So to start your own business, was it a new idea or was it just like I need to pull myself together or... Yeah, so I start working sales. I love sales and negotiation. I love talking. I love connecting with people. So sales, it's a perfect world for it. So for a sales professional to have the resilient mentality and to have the mentality that like no means next, three no's mean yes, no, just not yet. If I get turned down, it's okay. It's not personal. I start taking these lessons from the field while working sales, applying them to my own life. And that's what helped me keep my head above the water because I'm like, if it works like this in business, why why wouldn't I apply this in my personal life? So I worked sales and negotiation uh, sales world for quite forever. And my business actually was born because of COVID. 
Um, I was able to take all the lessons and I lost my job once COVID broke. I was one of the first people to be let go pretty much. So I took all my knowledge, all my ideas, and I launched it into a business platform. And all of my sales experience that I've received, I launched an online course where I would be able to teach my students now go step by step from how to close from a lead to a sale and the steps that go along with it and how to build a referral system. So all the sales world, you know, knowledge tactics that I apply professionally, I also apply them personally. And that's what helps me every day to look at things differently and re-strategize and recalibrate my brain if things are not going in a good route to change that position. So sales world has saved my life and my way of thinking, I would say. Yeah. Well, just on that point, a couple of clarifications. So just to get my head around it. So obviously you you have the joint venture right at the start with your partner. And oh, then that finished after I got that divorced. Finished, that, yes. Okay. I, so to kind of give a, a quick summary, I packed my stuff and I left and I asked for mm-hmm. a divorce. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the house. I didn't get the business. I didn't get nothing. I only got my clothes, my dog and myself and I got out. Okay. So I started literally from scratch. Yes. And then after that, did you, you worked for somebody else? That's Correct. your experience in sales. And then you started six radius seven after you lost your job. Correct. So six seven radius the business was launched last year. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why the name? I was like, I need to remember this. <laughs> um, it it goes into I'll watch your six radius. Why you should for your lucky number seven? Okay. Because I considered a partnership with my clients and with my students. So that's where the name is from. Mm-hmm. Now, besides this, you've also partnered with various organizations and universities to help train professionals in sales negotiation skills. So what exactly do you do in your negotiation clubs? Absolutely. So we just had one actually last last week as well for the negotiation club, which is a negotiation institute based in London, as a matter of fact. Is it just in London or do you have one close by to where you live? Yeah, so the location, Philip Brown is the founder. He, uh, the, It's based in London, but we have chapters all over the world. So what we do, like, for example, like we did on the next, on the last week's session, is we had a professional come in and talk about emotion intelligence as a negotiation skill because we learn negotiation practices and we have negotiation cards that we're able to split the room into buyers and sellers, have people negotiate with one another, and then analyze what you did right, what you did wrong, how can you improve it, how can you improve your skills so you can take all the skills and apply to your personal life or to your professional life, depending on the industry that you work, because... A lot of people, we have business owners uh, that need to learn how to negotiate contracts. We have people that work actually in the medical field, but they still need to negotiate when it comes to the, uh, you know, to the contract wise. So it's a lot of people that need the negotiation tactic to be improved. And we have speakers that come and talk as well as we do a lot of uh, practice sessions. And it's uh, every other week seminar that we do. And we have students from all over the world. For, I mean, Philip really just finished one with uh, students from Asia the other day and students from India. Or the last week's session that we did, we had people from Italy, Netherlands, America, different states in America, uh, London. It was, it's everywhere. But we, our main focus is to help our students improve their negotiation skills and become negotiation masters. Okay, and you said it's not applicable to one specific profession or a group of professions that you would normally associate 
sales with it's a rather broad thing because if you think about it everybody needs to absolutely what yes they have to offer yeah. yeah the speakers are focused more into sales but different aspects of sales and negotiation world but for our practices our students don't have to be you know specifically into sales i mean we have law students that they need to learn how to negotiate when it comes down to you know uh, a settlement mm-hmm. so we have a lot of law students as well on the on the club so it's different different uh, students, different industries that join. Yes, and I think it's one of those things where you don't always realize how much goes into it and how many skills, different skills you have to put in application. It's kind of the same with consulting because it's all to do with people and reading people and kind of like seeing what they're thinking without them necessarily saying that. It it stimulates your brain to a whole nother level, which is (laughs) interesting because we see like we all turn our cameras off until people are negotiating and we're just seeing their body language, their reaction, what tactics. And we don't know the tactics so because they, they just get assigned the tactics. So we also have to see and kind of pinpoint what tactics they're using, which it gets even more interesting because it's a little, you have to pay attention now and see what they're using, what they're not using. Yeah, that's true. And then, I mean, it's something I've just always been fascinated with. The other thing I wanted to ask was, so you've established these connections with various organizations and universities, but what would you say is the key thing that helped you actually establish those connections? Because sometimes that's quite hard. (laughs) Connecting with others, um, instead of just having a superficial conversation, I would have like a heart-to-heart conversation. And I would also show up in a lot of, like, especially when COVID broke, I would show up in every single meeting that I saw on LinkedIn was possible. And then I wanted to see how did I like the organization? How did I like the connections? What vibe, what energy did it give me? Did it give me good education at the end of the seminar or the webinar? And if it did, I would reach out to the individual who was in charge or somebody that spoke and said, hey, like I, I listened to you speaking this. I'd really love for us to grab like a virtual coffee. Here's my calendar link. And then just have the connection. I would share about my story. They'll share about their story. And that's how you would build those connections. Because I would say social media and all the platforms are so condensed with so many individuals you can you know connect with. But I better connect with five people and have really great you know connection then with 100 people just say hi and bye. So whoever I connect with, I really would like to have that connection that like even me and you like podcasting is an intimate experience. Even me and you right now, we're friends. Because you know, we talked before this and which was perfect. And that's what I do for my podcast. You talk before to make sure everything you know, the energy, you like the person, everything aligns. And I'm sure we'll probably do future projects together as well. Because once you build that connection, yes. that's I like nurturing my connections. I don't like just leaving them on the side. Yes, and that's something, um, I'll be honest, I've just having started, well, not having started, I've been, I'm one year in and I've learned a lot about the field itself that you, you don't always realize these things when you go into them. Like when you think you're going to start a podcast, you don't always realize how much it is about the relationships you build and the closer or the more you nurture those relationships, the better the growth and the whole kind of development of your own podcast. But if you neglect those, it's going to become a superficial and you're never going to feel that real, um, get the real value out of it and be able to obviously transmit that. To Absolutely. Your I mean, I started podcasting because I had anxiety issues and uh, podcasting was a great journey for me to start and start asking different individuals like hey how did you overcome this career obstacle how did you do this how did you do this and because I was very honest of what I was going through 
Not only they were able to help me and help the audience, but podcasting cured my anxiety. After I've not taken an anxiety medication, it will be a year and a half now. So podcasting cured my anxiety and creating those connections, those meaningful connections helped me learn a lot more about myself as well and help my audience, of course, long term. Yes. And I mean, that's such a great thing to say. And well, it's good that you mentioned that because a lot of people actually, they like, oh, no, I can't be on a podcast because I'm so anxious about talking in front of people but you're not talking in front of people you're talking to one person and it's just there happens to be other people yeah. listening or in. think of it like <laughs> you're talking to your best friend or you're talking to somebody that needs yeah. to hear your story and you'd be surprised who would you be able to affect scene three be the best loser possible now from what we've discussed, it's clear that you, you've got a positive attitude to life, but you also have a certain stubbornness to kind of go out there and achieve and get over the obstacles and eat that elephant piece by piece. <laughs> so these are the two characteristics that have helped keep you on track and focused on the transformation you want to have on others. Now, to amplify this, you explore life po- obstacles in your podcast, which we've just spoken about, Coffee with Romina. In what way is having a podcast beneficial tool for self-discovery? Absolutely. So not only, like I mentioned, not only it helped me with my anxiety to cure my own anxiety, but it's like having those deep conversations or those trigger thinking conversations or comments with the guests that it just opens, you know, it cracks a little light to a new uh, area and you're just like I want to learn more about this this sounds really interesting I really want to know like why you made this comment or why you talked about this theory so I just do more research on it so it helps me uh, once you pay attention which I'm sure it happens with you or at the other house once you trigger you know you say something different it triggers a hold on I want to learn more about this why do you think this way why do you do this way am I doing this wrong is there other ways I can go about this Wait, why does this work better than that so it's just literally getting, uh, I would say, like a whole library condensed in one episode. And you can branch out because, again, I'm visionary. So one episode, I can branch it out to multiple mini topics. And those mini topics, yeah. I can do more research and research more on it. And you'd be surprised, like myself, after I finished a podcast interview or after I launched one, I would be I would go online and learn want to learn more about it. Like, for example, the next week's podcast, well, yeah, next week's podcast is about economical behavior and how mm-hmm. people think and how marketing thinks and what you should do and you should not do and people's habits. So not only I'm researching before the interview, but after the interview, I've learned so much that I want to know even more now. So it just gets me hungry to learn more. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's a little bit like with the negotiation clubs and in our uh, podcast. So I'm like, well, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of research, but I'm going to let her explain. I'm sure that's going to like trigger my <laughs> curiosity. You should and come to tr- one of our meetings for the negotiation club. <laughs> yeah, I should. That's true. And it's amazing because this happens like pretty much every single time. Um, yeah, offline, I will give you the invite. You should definitely come. It will be a lot of fun. All right, I will definitely have a look at that. Now, if could you maybe just give a, a quick little overview of your podcast, just so that listeners know, like, because I know you've had a re 
brand as well. Absolutely. So the podcast is an intimate conversation with the professionals of different careers, asking them fundamental questions on what does it take to overcome career and personal obstacles. So far, we had had speakers like hostage negotiators. Uh, we have had F- um, FBI hostage negotiators, TEDx speakers, CEOs of different industries. Uh, we have had, you know, film directors. We have had um, the one last one. It was really interesting. I recorded an episode like two weeks ago. It was somebody that did research on the wavelengths of what does it take to get your brain on the relaxed status, on the super active status, on the normal status, and the whole neuroscience behind it, and how we'd be able to influence ourselves to get ourselves to the different wavelengths for our own brains. So it's those conversations that you're like, these people are doing this amazing things, and this information needs to be spread out there more, so people can learn more about it. And that's what we do. We touch, you know, we touch topics that you don't find on other podcasts. Oh, that's great. And then you also mentioned that you you kind of delve into some of the obstacles that your guests have faced. So based on these obstacles, if you kind of like think of some of the like the most interesting or recent episodes, whichever ones you can remember, what does it mean to be a best loser possible? And how does that lead to a fuller life? If you had to like think of examples that you've heard from your guests? I had one of the guests that said to be the best loser possible. Uh, She expressed that also to minimize your regrets as much as possible. And when you lose, you'll be the best loser if you take all the learning lessons from that losing experience. Because if you don't, then you're not really losing. You're just stagnant. You need to lose Mm -hmm. in order for you to be better because you need to get that, you know, that hard learned lesson. And also minimize your regrets so this way you wouldn't be able to... You don't be hard on yourself either. Minimize the regret that you did. Just take the lesson and run with it. Uh, that's how she explained it. And I love that, like the, how she explained it herself. She's like, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if I didn't have losing lessons. That doesn't mean I'm a loser. I'm a great person because I, I won't, I'm not repeating it. And then would you say that your your guests just face all kinds of obstacles so there's no one specific kind of thing that you hone in on like always career obstacles or it's just all kinds? Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot it's different type of obstacles. I had a good friend of mine also. We did an episode where he was talking about how pretty much after his own divorce he had to just find out who he really is because he didn't even know who he is. And now he got back with his ex and they've re-nurtured and got the whole relationship much healthier and their son is a lot happier too. So that's an obstacle he had to come personally because also his professional life was slacking because it's one person at the end of the day. Or we have had guests talk about how pretty much they were on the verge of losing literally everything in their business and they needed a wake-up call or they needed to lose everything in one business and be able to start from scratch on another type of industry and be a lot better because they went for the money at first, not for the passion. So it, it depends. It's different. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's great when it's got such diversity to it as well. And now when we do face obstacles, whatever that, that might be, one of the largest determining factors is the fear of what others might think. So we, we're cycling back to, to the start of our, our conversation and whether others might see us as losers or just unrealistic or over-optimistic, things that I get called quite often. Um, And these 
impressions that we get from other people sometimes distorts our own vision. So we're not entirely sure what we want to do anymore or who we are anymore. And it's kind of going back to one of your guests that you mentioned as well. Now, if we were to take that and your sales expertise together, what techniques could help us most to keep focused on who we are and what we want to achieve? So I want to go back to the opinion portion. Like I mentioned, even at the beginning of the episode, everybody has an opinion. Like it or not, everybody does. So a role that I play, that I keep to myself is if your opinion doesn't help me feel better, it doesn't help my income or it doesn't help me scale my business or my profession, then it doesn't matter. So I don't mean to sound harsh, but at the same time, I, I will respect your opinion, but doesn't mean that I have to listen to it. So you have to make sure that you know who you like, who you are and what you want. So you put a stop and a filter of those negative Nancy opinions right at the door so you don't even let it get into you. And if you it did, it's okay. It's okay. Just go for a walk. Go for a run a walk and just let it out because that's important. So you need to make sure you have that, number one. Um, number two, what because you asked what tactics or like lessons from the yes. sales field. Would you mind repeating those three things again? Yeah, absolutely. So if your opinion doesn't help me feel better, it doesn't help with my income or it doesn't help me professionally or personally to grow, then it doesn't matter. It sounds harsh, but when my mom says, you sound a little harsh when I say that sometimes, I'm like, no, it's not because that's the reality of it. it I, I'm not going to listen to something that is not helping me, but is bringing me down. I don't need that in my life. And some lessons that I would say to take from the field, one of my favorite tactics out there is concrete feet. It comes from the military term of standing ground. So even if you get told no, even if you get, you know, um, different forces pushing you different directions, if you stand ground and if you know, like, for example, in sales, if I know for a fact that the client can benefit from services or products that are looking to purchase, but they're just a little iffy, they, they cannot make a decision then I need to stand my ground and make sure I deliver and I give them all the information necessary for them to make a successful and a good decision. Because also people make the best decision they can with the resources that they have. So just like the client, if they don't have all the resources possible, they're not going to be able to make an educated decision. That's why I love that tactic of, you know, concrete feet, standing ground, being able to transfer all the resources, all the information to allow somebody to make an educated decision. And once I know for a fact that I give all the resources and it's still a no, then I'll walk away. Yes. That's my that's one of my favorite tactics, I would say. I mean, just from my own experience of like having to and I mean, if you have to believe in your what you're selling, that helps so much. And you have to give the people buying all the information because that's the only way you can have that kind of like a transparent negotiation or transaction, if you like. Absolutely. And yes. then if there is a no, like you said, you just have to accept that it's perhaps just not for them at this moment. Correct. And there is a fine line between being pushy and having concrete feet. Being pushy is me trying to sell you something just because I want a commission or I, I think you need it. But if I've done the proper discovery, if I had the proper open-ended questions, the proper conversation beforehand then I know for a fact that you can benefit from services. Maybe you're just being stubborn and you're not listening to all the facts that I'm telling you about X, Y, or Z for services or the products. But 
it's very important to be able to help because even if I don't get that sale, for example, but tomorrow they turn around and they need it, it would make me feel better that they have that services because they really need it, even though if, if they didn't get that commission for the moment. But they'll remember me because I was the person that answered those 101 questions and they might come back to me. You never know. What goes around comes around, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So to wrap up our episode, and it's been really, really great talking to you. I mean, there's so many points that I agreed on and so many things that we've discussed that uh, that's gotten me thinking. So that's absolutely great. Now, thinking of where you started as a young expat in America about to lose everything to a successful business owner, sales negotiator and also podcaster, how can we discover a healthy balance between stubbornness and practicality to make better decisions right now? That's a really, really great question. So I was actually listening to an episode the other day to, to a podcast where it talks about, we all talk about don't quit, but when is the time to actually quit and start something different because you're just doing something just because it's like that momentum. You're just doing it because you're involved. So I would say when to quit or re-strategize or keep being stubborn, you have to align your emotions, your energy, and know how you feel. You have to know your body. If you don't know your body, if you're doing something and it feels like this gut feeling, it just feels weird, it just feels a little different, it doesn't feel comfortable, just know your body's trying to tell you something and listen to it. So you can stay stubborn when you talk about an idea that it just gets you super excited. Like if I talk about podcasting or sales, I will not shut up for days. Mm -hmm. So that's how I know I have to be stubborn on it because whatever obstacle the business world throws at me, it's because, you know, life happens. It's business. But if you talk to me about, you know, if I think I'm a great artist to start painting and I do it just because the money is great, but I feel miserable doing it every day. Just know you you have to just deviate and recalibrate. So stay stubborn when your body is getting happy for you too and you're, it's like this energy alignment. It's, you're just like, oh my God, I cannot stop. That's when you have to stay stubborn on your idea. And I know to some people it might sound weird because you're like, Romina, how do I even get to know my body? What well, that yeah. comes with the process, that comes with the life. That's why once you, you know, meditating, that's why journaling helps a lot. That's why getting, like, getting to spend time with you and knowing yourself because you are an interesting and amazing human being. Just know that. So getting to know that you will be able to align body, mind, spirit to another level. And that's when you know to keep staying stubborn or to recalibrate and change directions. Great piece of advice. Thank you once again for sharing that and also for joining me today, Romina. Absolutely. It was completely my pleasure. So where can people find out more about you, your podcast and anything you've got to offer? So you can find me anywhere with Connect with Romina and my name is spelled R-O-M-I-N-A. So my domain is connectwithromina.com. My social links are Connect with Romina. I know I have a weird last name, so don't even go there, you guys. So just, Can you pronounce it one more time? <laughs> Muhammadai? <laughs> even in, I'm a language person, that's why. <laughs> well, even in my country, it's a very rare last name. So, <laughs> uh, But yeah, connect with Romina anywhere on social medias. Or if you want to listen to Coffee with Romina podcast, you'd be able to find everything you know on the links there as well to connect with me. I'll listen to our podcast, why not? Yeah, great. I'll be listening to your podcast after this. So, and then we, I've just got a 
couple of quick fire questions uh what i call round 42 the answer to life the universe and everything comes from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy in case you're wondering you can google that I, yeah i, I want to google that now yeah so first question this one is surprise question you arrive at the airport where's the first place you go is it the loo is it the check-in counter is it a coffee shop uh check my bag and if i don't i, I thought you were going to ask me where you're going to go meaning like your trip where is it going to be airport. at the airport <laughs> um yeah check my bag get that off my chest, get it off my to-do list so I can move freely. Yeah, exactly. Number two, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Life is short and you have to enjoy life and be in the moment, but also think long-term. Going back to your youth, what message would have changed your life if you'd seen it on a billboard or social media post? Romina, you're awesome. Just keep up the good work. Don't let people tell you you're not. That would have changed my <laughs> it's life. It's great that your name's in the <laughs> Very personalized. And, and then very last question, and if you want to elaborate a little bit on this, absolutely fine. What would you do tomorrow if you were 20% braver? I would, <laughs> I would buy an RV or buy a bus and turn it into an RV. I would get a Wi-Fi hotspot on my RV and road trip all over America and travel, go all the national parks, hike while I work and make my schedule so I can work two or three times a week and just hike and enjoy nature the rest of the times. So that's what I would definitely do if I was 20% braver. I've been thinking about it and it's been debating on my hat for a long time and I was actually looking at um, school buses to buy the other day. <laughs> You know, that's a great idea. I love it. <laughs> or like like the AGTV, like the tiny the tiny houses idea, but like the converting like, you know, buses into little travel hotel rooms, travel rooms. Yeah. Definitely. I would definitely go ahead and make that move. I'm just not there yet, but I'm doing it soon. Like I really want to. So this is a serious one, yes. Oh, yes. It, it's, I've been thinking about it a lot. Like what clothes do I need to get? What clothes do I not need to get? Like how can I live at a with less clothes, with less stuff, but it be, you know, explore the world more. Because again, life is short, but also think long-term. Like, what do you want to do? Thinking of getting a caravan yesterday, I was like, there's something that's never crossed my mind. I was just like, I want to travel. I just want to like drive somewhere and not worry about where I'm sleeping. So it could just like be a little bit easier or, fr or freer. Yeah, well, in America, there's like RV camps and stuff. So you can mm. stop there for the, you know, yeah, to be on a exactly. secure, so you don't stop in the middle of the place. You cannot do that. So there's little camps. Um, I already have apps on my phone because I road trip a lot. So I already like okay. have apps on my phone towards seeing where I'm going. Like I'm going 16 hours away in a couple of months. So I'm already planning out where am I stopping? What am I seeing? What national parks? Just driving by myself, which I love it. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to so much now coming out of lockdown. Yeah. Going on a road trip. <laughs> somewhere else <laughs> right thank you once again Romina absolutely it was completely my pleasure 
That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you're a creator currently living abroad or you want to live abroad, get in touch. Say hello on Insta at creators.abroad or head over to our website, creatorsabroad.com. You can find out more about my podcast production studio and content creation consultancy. All the details are on the website. If you want to support the show, of course, you can share this episode or the trailer episode with anyone who might enjoy it. And you can also leave me a rating and review on Apple. It helps more people find the show and it does mean a lot to me. Join me next time for more narrative journeys of creators abroad.